In today's episode, we will be talking about sexual assault. We'll be talking about religious trauma. And so, you know, if any of those are triggers for you, I just want to give you a heads up. We'll be diving into a lot of that. party people welcome to ditch the egg as always i'm your host katie carson i'm sorry the dogs are hiding in the background again this week we are going to be building off of the if he wants to he will conversation and really diving into how that ties into shame and purity culture now please know that this is my personal story my personal journey i know that i'm by no means the only one who's gone through this and I know not everybody went through the same thing so you know we talked a little bit about if they want to they will in the beginning of that episode I mentioned how you know I always struggled with that statement because you know it wasn't necessarily always true there could be mitigating circumstances right and especially as somebody with PTSD and things like that. Like I get it. Like it's not always as simple as if you want to, you will. But I want to dive into kind of the other side of that today, which is like when they do, but they don't. Okay. So I promise this connects into everything. So, you know, I was in my mid twenties and I was, I had gone on a couple dates with this guy, really, really liked him. And, you know, we ended up being just friends because I was kind of re-entering the church, re-entering purity culture, if you will, Um, and just kind of like really focused on my career and things like that. And there were some things that he had said and done that had just really given me the ick and weren't the way that I wanted to live my life anymore. Fast forward a couple years, Um, you know, we were still friends. We still had mutual friends. And we started talking again. Um, And then we kind of started dating. At least that's what I thought. His nickname amongst my friends was Dishonorable Intentions. Because I could not tell if it was just, you know, he actually wants to date me or it's just a friends with benefits thing. And I'll tell you why it was confusing. Because he did the things. He called just to talk. Even if I only had like 20 minutes to meet for lunch, he would meet me for lunch at like a Wendy's and just want to chat. You know, his mom was coming to town and he really wanted to introduce me to her. And so like, I finally decided after a couple of months of this, I was like, you know what? We're going to DTR. We're going to define the relationship because like, I need to know what's happening. I need to know if this is a thing. I need to know if it's not. I just want to know that we're on the same page because I need that clarity. So I went over to his house and we were cooking and we usually had like movie nights after we cooked and stuff. And so he told me that he almost rented friends with benefits because he thought that it would be really appropriate for the situation. And I was floored, you guys. I was completely floored. I was like, you literally were just talking about introducing me to your mom like a week ago. So, you know, he did the things. He showed up in the way that you would want somebody to show up, right? Like, you know, we didn't always cook at his place. We went out in public. We did things. We hung out with my friends. We hung out with his friends. There was public affection. Like, it blew my mind. Like, it absolutely blew my mind. It was blizzarding. So I was, like, trapped at this apartment with this guy. And one of the things that he said, 
while I was there and while I was kind of still trying to process, you know, the whole friends with benefits thing, mind you, at this point, I was not in therapy. I was not connected really with my emotions like at all. <laughs> and so I was just trying to process it. And I, I didn't know how to be in my mind at the time. Vulnerability was weakness, right? Like I could not show this man that he had hurt me. And so, you know, I was just trying to like be the cool kid about it and like, you know, just didn't want to show him that it affected me. And one of the things that he said when we were talking afterwards, like before I left in the morning was, I was just so tired of using my hand. Those words left his mouth, that he was just so tired of using his hand. And this is where... Looking back now, I realize how ingrained the shame of purity culture was like deeply rooted in myself because all of that kind of came back up. I realize now that that's like his issue, not mine. You know, it is not on me for taking him at his word or, you know, trusting that his actions were aligning with his intentions. I mean, there was a reason that his nickname among my friends was Dishonorable Intentions, I guess. But I want to dive into like the, the shame that that triggered and what led to that shame. So I was raised in a evangelical church, you know, small town in the peak of purity culture and the peak of diet culture. It was a real bad combo, you guys, like real bad combo for anybody's mental health, especially women. I want to dive into a little bit about like what is purity culture, you know, kind of like what are the implications of that have been and like, you know, some of the ways that like I have navigated it and, you know, maybe it'll help you. I would love to hear more stories because I know that the purity culture standard is not just limited to the white evangelical church. I know that it is pervasive in other religions and other cultures. So I would love Love, love to hear other people's stories. If you want to share them with me, ditch the ick pod at gmail.com. You can stay completely anonymous or you can DM me on Instagram at ditch the ick pod. Again, you can stay completely anonymous if you want to, but I just really feel like kind of breaking the stigma around, you know, discussing women's sexuality and kind of breaking that shame cycle is something that's really important. And I think it's something that we're kind of going through as a collective. I've talked to a lot of people who have dealt with and gone through similar things. So for those of you who were not raised in the evangelical church of the 90s, you may have and probably have seen or heard little bits and pieces because it did eventually infiltrate mainstream culture. It, you know, the Jonas Brothers and their purity rings. Miley Cyrus had hers before she did her thing. Um, but in the nineties, it was a movement and honestly, because we live in a capitalist society, a correlating industry emerged, you know, purity rings, purity pledges, those whole things. And essentially the message was that girls and women are potential sexual stumbling blocks for boys and men. And just so you, just to like cite my source, there's a woman I found whose TED Talk is really good. It's called Surviving Purity Culture, How I Healed a Lifetime of Sexual Shame. It's Linda K. Klein, and I'll make sure that's linked in the show notes. And she also wrote a book about it and has a blog post. So that's going to be most of what I'm referencing. But if you want to dive deeper, all of that will be in the show notes. So in the evangelical church, there's 
that phrase of like, you don't want to be a stumbling block for your neighbor, your brother or sister in Christ. Like you don't, you don't want to entice them into committing a sin. And in this case, it was simply by existing women were inviting the lust of men and the intention of men. And that's why you get things where like in certain denominations, the women can't cut their hair. They can't wear makeup. They have to wear skirts down to their ankles. You know, they can't show their shoulders. Like there's a lot of variations on this, but ultimately what it boils down to is any expression of a woman's sexuality reflects a corruption of her character. Um, and, you know, this is, I have like vivid memories of the God awful demonstrations they would do in like youth group and in church. And it was almost always 98% of the time geared towards the women, geared towards the women. It was, it was, you know, they would show you a rose and be like, look at this beautiful rose. And then they'd like stomp on it and be like, you can't put that rose back together. Once you do it, you can't undo it, which is a wild thing to me because virginity already is just a man-made construct, right? Like completely man-made, not to dive too far into the patriarchy this episode, but essentially it deeply rooted a sense of shame, inherent shame in being a woman, which the evangelical church already did a really good job of with the whole Adam and Eve situation. You know, it just, it was wild. I listened to, I don't know if you guys like Taylor Tomlinson, but I'll find the clip and we'll link it in the show notes, but she does a bit about how she grew up in a very, you know, evangelical church and the purity culture situation and how she didn't even know that it was possible for like women to masturbate because, you know, like it wasn't talked about, like you weren't supposed to do it. And like, you know, even just thinking about something sexual was a sin. So like, then you're already distrusting all of your own thoughts. It is, it, it was a wild ride, you guys, but her sketch about it is hysterical. You know, what it did was, especially in women, it, it created a lot of shame. It created a lot of anxiety, especially like around sex, fear, and, you know, like you didn't want to be marked a Jezebel, right? It just is really, really crazy the effects that this had on a much broader scale because it wasn't just about the, you know, the girls that were born into it or that grew up into it. It also, it also really impacted the LGBTQIA community because like if you layer on top of the fact that they're shaming you for having any sexual desires whatsoever, even though there's an entire book of the Bible that's essentially you know, smut. If you are attracted to somebody of the same sex or you are attracted to both sexes or you, you know, did not identify with the gender you were born with, that was a whole other level of shame that was given to you. Whole other level of you are inherently wrong. Like your being is wrong. And, you know, that just, I I remember one of my friends, he was, um, he was gay and it was high school, I think, when he finally did come out and the terror that he faced just because he was finally like living his truth and being who he truly was instead of pretending and dating girls and doing those things like it was absolutely bananas. And he was like the sweetest guy. 
But it also really, really perpetuated rape culture because it was the woman's responsibility to say no, not the man's responsibility to not pursue a woman. And but it also that shame element that it bred in women led it to a lot of women not even being comfortable speaking up when something had happened to them when they had been sexually assaulted. Women would have such shame about their bodies and their sexual experience and that these things had happened that they often wouldn't report what had happened. I think we see that a lot now with women coming forward years after the fact and talking about things that have happened to them. We see it with the Me Too movement and that wasn't even, you know, a religious-based thing. It just was a thing. And if they did report it, they were then victim blamed. It was, well, what were you wearing? What did you do to bring this on yourself? Why were you there? Blah, blah, blah. As if just existing in a place is makes it okay for somebody to do that. So, you know, like how this, tying it all in. I was raised, like I said, in the evangelical church. My parents were youth pastors, both like leading up to kindergarten and then again in high school. And it was really funny to see the things that were happening in my home, what was being presented in youth on Wednesday nights. They weren't our main youth pastors. They were just after. And so like, it just really made me start questioning a lot of the things. And the other thing was, you know, it really preached abstinence only, right? As the only form of birth control, you know, outside of like getting pregnant, there really wasn't like, they didn't really talk about like the emotions involved or like, you know, some of the things that you can really feel when the emotional attachments that come with sex, right? Like, it wasn't discussed like that. And so when I went off to college, I had spent my whole life being the good girl. I volunteered at church all the time. I babysat. I took care of my siblings. I was responsible. I had good grades. I wasn't out partying. I didn't even have my first drink until like the very end of my senior year. I had one beer at a party in a pasture and I thought it was a wild time. You guys, that's that I was a raging nerd. Okay. Okay. So I never had that wild phase in high school. So when I got to college, I did, you know, I started drinking, but then I had, if we're honest, my first time was not consensual. And after that, it was kind of like, well, the rose is destroyed. So we may as well have fun. And it was just sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I mean that literally for four years. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, school and work in multiple jobs. And then being the dutiful oldest daughter when I went home to visit my family and to take care of the kids and to take care of my mom and to be the stable one and and do all of that. And, you know, that, that first hoe phase really was coming from a place of shame from a place of self-loathing, from a place of self-hatred. Like, I wasn't connected to my body in any way, shape, or form. I wasn't connected to my emotions. Like, it was a long time before I worked through that. And then, you know, I kind of hit rock bottom. So I moved to D.C. and I got back into church. My best friend lived up there with her cousins who pastored a church that was like a mile away from my house. And I honestly can't say anything bad about that experience. Was it still a little purity culture-ish? Yeah. But it was less shame-based. 
And honestly, it saved my life. And I worked through a lot of things there. I learned to, you know, trust people and friends and all of that. And, you know, but I did live in a house that I referred to as the convent. One of my roommates was planning, had never been kissed and was, had been dating this guy for like four years and didn't plan on kissing him until her wedding day. She ended up waiting until they were engaged, but you know what I mean? So like, it was just a very stark contrast. And so because of that, I also never, I, while I didn't feel, I wasn't shamed from the outside, I didn't feel safe sharing my story really either. Not like this. And I think there's a lot of my friends who are listening to this who probably haven't heard this and that. But, you know, so I did that. And that actually kicked off for me the 10 years of celibacy after dishonorable intentions. It was 10 years of celibacy, essentially. I dated, you know, it wasn't like I didn't kiss anybody or anything, but like I just... I was really focused on my career and I was also going through a lot in my body. You know, I had some thyroid things that happened. I had always had some feminine issues and it really wasn't until I had my hysterectomy last year that I finally really connected with my body in a real way and like stopped viewing my body as the enemy, stopped viewing my body as something to be ashamed of. Um, stop viewing my sexuality as something to be ashamed of. Like it, it was a really pivotal moment for me because I had to tune into my body in that recovery process. It's a long journey. And I am so grateful for that. And so once I kind of got back into that and I was really connected with myself, you know, I, I had my second rumspringer if you will. Anybody remember that MTV or VHO show, whatever it was, where they would like, maybe it was TLC, who knows, but like the Amish kids would go off on their rumspringa, go wild out, and then decide if they were coming back to their Amish way of life or not. And <laughs> it was wild. And I am so sorry about these dogs in the background. Guys, chill. Anyways, <laughs> So I had my second rum springer. I kicked it off. It just, and it this time it was a very different thing. And this is the stigma that I want to break. Like it wasn't the whole phase, quote unquote, that you have in college. It wasn't from the point of shame. It wasn't from the point of self-loathing. It wasn't from the point of, you know, whatever it was. I'm in charge of my body. I get to choose what I do with it. I love my body. And also, I would like somebody else to be in charge of my orgasms for the first time in 10 years. That'd be great. It was actually a really healing experience. One of my friends described it as like, she's like, I don't know who's writing season four of your life, but it is a wild ride. So, you know, I finally broke that 10 years of celibacy. And what I really started to do is like, not only was I fully present in my body for the first time, during all of that but I was learning what I actually liked instead of being ashamed of like things that I may have liked or like you know just feeling like I had to do whatever the guy wanted to do or whoever it was you know I actually allowed myself to enjoy it without shame without a shame spiral afterwards just like a figure out who I am as a sexual being 
and not just, you know, trying to repress that or be ashamed of that or any of that. So, you know, I think that there are a lot of things that a lot of these social constructs are breaking down. I think we see it with the, you know, the rise of popular smutty books of, you know, women really embracing who they are and what they want and actually saying it and not being afraid of it being too much, which I really support. And I think we see that too with, you know, the LGBTIA community, the, you know, not that they're accepted everywhere because I know they're not, I live in the Bible belt, but you know, the fact that it is more acceptable now to talk about it, that it is, you know, you can see yourself represented in popular culture in a way that you couldn't in the past whether or not religious institutions accept you, that's a whole other thing. But, you know, I feel like people are more free to live their truth than they were 30 years ago when we were coming up. So I just, if you want to have a hoe face, have a hoe face. No shame. No shame in your game, babe. If you want to be the Samantha, be the Samantha. If you want to be the Carrie, be the Carrie. If you want to be the Charlotte, be the Charlotte. Like, There ain't no law, y'all. I mean, in some places there are, if we're honest. But I think that, you know, really diving in, figuring out what it is you do and don't want, it's fine. But if you also don't want to have a whole face, that is also cool. Like, I just don't think that, which this would lead into a whole other discussion that we are going to have. But like, you know, we don't get to judge what people do with their bodies. It's their body. As opposed to like what we were taught growing up, what I was taught growing up, that it is God's body, that it is God's temple and it wasn't mine. It was his and it wasn't mine to do with, you know, but it, it's my body. It's my body. Regardless of where you stand religiously, you are in charge of your body. You get to decide what to do with that. But also be aware of the reasons why you're doing something. This is going to sound super nerdy. But apparently this is how I operate. You know, I did a lot of introspection before I started to really put myself back out there in that way. Before I downloaded Tinder, because we all know what Tinder's for. But I did a lot of introspection because I didn't want it to be something that I did and then immediately went into a shame spiral about. I didn't want it to be from a place of shame. I didn't want it to be from that place. I wanted it to be from a place of ownership, from a place of power, from a place of, you know, meeting what I consider as a physical need. Not saying you do it all the time. I need it all the time, but like, it's a need, right? Like that physical intimacy is a need. So just be very self-aware. As I always say, go to therapy. That has been one of the most helpful things that I've done for myself in the last 10 years, especially when I was, you know, in my 10 years of celibacy, really working through and working to identify the shame and the motivations and all of that behind what I was doing in my actions. And it was one of the most empowering things that I have ever done for myself was actually find a third party and ask for help and tell them my story. And, you know, learn that most of the things I experienced in my childhood were uh, not normal. And that I did not, did indeed not have to suck it up buttercup. And just move on because, you know, there's other people in the world who have it much worse than you do. Not helpful, guys. So highly recommend therapy, especially if you're processing or trying to deconstruct some of those shame-based 
mindsets we were raised with if you were raised in the evangelical church. And on that note, I have a very fun treat for you guys next week. Well, I now have a therapist physically here in Tennessee. My therapist for the last four, five years um, is going to be a guest on the pod. Her name's Olivia. She's fucking awesome. She's hysterical. I love her. And I'm really excited to get her on here. Who knows what we're going to talk about? I think we're going to talk about attachment styles, but that will be next week on the pod. You really won't want to miss that. Um, And, you know, maybe it'll be the first time of many that she's on here. Um, And then, you know, speaking of women's health, we are also going to have someone on to talk about that at some point in the near future in the next couple of episodes. So I'm just kneeling down that interview. Um, But I want to have like these really open conversations. And I know that I am not the only one who has experienced purity culture, who's experienced the shame associated with it that permeates like every aspect of your life, not just your sexuality. So I want to hear your stories. Like I said before, you can send them in ditch the ick pod at gmail.com. You can DM them to me at ditch the ick pod on Instagram. And I think I'm also going to be starting a Facebook group. Y'all let me know if that's something you'd be interested in because I really do want to build a community that is open, that is supportive, that is inclusive. So it's not just women. It's not just those who identify as female. I want to create a supportive and inclusive community where we can all come together, share our stories. We can support one another and, you know, maybe help people make friends as adults because we all know that's not fucking easy. And especially, you know, as we are in our mid-30s, late 40s, and most of our friends are married with kids, it can be, it can be hard. So let me know if that's something you guys want, and I'll do it. We'll make a Facebook group. It'll be great. You know, and also, you know, make sure that you rate, review, subscribe, like, do all those things that people need to do that really helps us out. It helps us, you know, kind of build this community and reach more people and help more people figure out that they're not the only ones going through this shit. So that's it for this week and I will see you next time.